Shattered Bonds, a podcast that tells the story of a family's journey to redemption, a family that has been torn apart by secrets, lies, betrayal, and violence, a family that has to confront the past and the present and find a way to heal and reconnect. It's an exploration of the human condition, of the power of love and forgiveness, of the resilience of the human spirit. It's a podcast that will make you laugh, cry, think, and feel. This is part 18, The Unstoppable Moment. An hour later, Doris sits in the restaurant at the Waldorf Astoria with her son David and his family. Tracy and the kids flew in last night before the storm. They sit in a booth by a window. Outside, the plows have come, pushing snow onto the sidewalks. Handymen from the outer boroughs emerge from the sheltered doorways of pre-war Park Avenue towers to shovel the snow back into the street. The salt trucks arrive, spewing their corrosive payloads. Already the city has returned to normal. Traffic fills the streets. Pedestrians in overcoats and winter footwear vault across frozen puddles. They wade through snowbanks. Inside the restaurant, the children are having a hard time sitting still. They haven't seen snow in years, and then only in the mountains. Tracy tells Doris they've already been outside playing, throwing themselves into the powder. Her face is still flushed from the cold. Doris wants to like her, this woman, her daughter-in-law. But there's something about the girl that makes Doris think she laughs at her behind her back. David sits close to his wife, almost on top of her, his hand on her hand, as if now that she's here, he never wants her to leave again. To Doris, it looks like he has returned to his hiding place behind his wife's skirt. Where's your brother? she asks. He shrugs. I don't know. I went by his room. He's not there. He's not answering his cell either. She thinks about this. Maybe Scott fled, took a taxi to the airport and flew home. She can't blame him. She would, too, if she had a home. I like that sweater on you, Tracy tells her. Me, too, says David. I didn't know you owned anything white. Ha, ha, says Doris. She's the kind of soldier who shoots at everyone, expecting even small children to be armed. Grandma, says Chloe, did you know that aardvarks are nocturnal? That means they only come out at night. Knock, knock, says Christopher. David sees the distance on his mother's face. How are you doing? He asks. She shrugs. Ask me tomorrow, she says. She sits there surrounded by family, and she should be happy. She should feel comforted. But she doesn't. Knock, knock, says Christopher. He scans their faces, looking for the one most likely to play. He is at that age where there is no place more boring than a restaurant. Soon he will start slipping sugar packets off the table. He will tear them open quietly and pour the sugar onto the floor. Who's there? says Chloe. David squeezes Tracy's hand. So the memorial's at noon, he says. I figured we'd leave around 11.30. Give ourselves plenty of time to get down there. Is anyone going to come? Doris asks. With this weather? They'll come, says David. Orange who? says Chloe. Tracy gives the baby his juice in a sippy cup. She acts nice, thinks Doris, like she cares. But does she ever call? It is not unreasonable to think of this woman as her enemy, the opponent who stole her son from her, who turned him against her. It is a mother-daughter-in-law story that is centuries old. Boys stay loyal to the ones they can fuck. This is the bottom line. Doris finishes her wine, 
orders another glass. Her son watches her with a worried expression on his face. People will come, he says. Everybody loved Pop. She nods. He says this, but what she hears is, Everybody loved him. No one would come if it was just for you. All your relatives, your friends, they only ever really liked Joe. You were the one they put up with. She smiles her bitter little smile. Did you ever want to be more than just a mother? She asks Tracy. Tracy blinks at the question. When I was six, I wanted to be a ballerina, she says. That's not what I, says Doris. Then when I was 16, I wanted to be a movie star, but I heard the hours were bad. Funny. Tracy smiles. It is a mother's smile. The smile you give a brave kid as you put a bandage on his knee. A bath time smile when you have to put your foot down and insist that your child get in the tub right now. Don't you like being a mother? She asks Doris. Doris looks at her son. A mother? To him? The question is a challenge, a caustic provocation. But thinking about it, Doris finds this wave of sadness wash over her, this fragile, sorrowful poise. I liked the moment when they were in bed, she says, after the lights were out, but before they were asleep, and you could stand over the bed and watch them burrow down, the way their breathing would slow and expand, the looks on their little faces. David watches his mother with something like awe on his face. This is the first time he has heard her speak of their childhood in a manner that is in any way reverential. You were good kids, she says, looking him in the eye. He nods, speechless. You were. If your brother were here, I'd tell him the same thing. You were fun and you were smart. Thank you, he manages. And your father and I loved having you. Every minute, you made him very proud. David sits there blinking, a father surrounded by his children, a grown man with a wife. And yet in this moment, he is ten years old again, a boy who wants more than anything for his parents to love him unconditionally. Maybe we should leave a little earlier, she says. Make sure we don't get caught in the snow. David nods. Whatever you want, he says. The memorial is being held at the White Horse Tavern on Hudson Street. One last time, back down to the old neighborhood. It is the center of their family myth. This is how it is with families. There is always one unspoken moment when a family is happiest, when everything is just right. You don't even know it's happening at the time. It is the kind of realization that only comes later. Oh, yes, that was the moment. For the Henrys, it was when they lived in the West Village. It was 1979, 1981. They had the duplex with the loft upstairs. The kids were old enough to walk to school by themselves. They came home and performed skits based on lessons they'd learned in class. Once the kids got older, they started to pull away. Her husband started traveling more for work. By the time the boys went to college, Doris was spending more and more time alone. She hadn't counted on this, that her family would prove to be temporary, that motherhood would change. She hadn't realized that so much less would be required of her. That once her children were old enough and her marriage had gone on long enough, they would all run efficiently on their own, like a factory that's been automated. By the time her sons went to college, all they required was the kind of routine maintenance that could be handled by a robot. 
she found herself caught in a nostalgia for a family she still had. This is the nature of time. You feel things slipping away from you before they're even gone. David asks the waiter for the check. He has pulled himself together. As they stand to leave, he puts his hand on her arm. It is the first time she can remember him touching her unbidden since he got married. It is a loving touch, the protective hand of a son for his mother. Neither of them really know how to proceed, how to move forward from this point. They've been adversaries for so long. Their dynamic has become a dynamic of retreat, the tension of a rope being pulled in two directions. She can see on his face for the first time in years that he would like to bridge the gap, but he doesn't know how. He is her son. He will never have another mother. And yet she makes it so hard for him to love her, so hard to call her mom. She checks her watch. They have three hours. Three hours until the memorial starts, until the guests arrive and the testimonials begin. She has three hours left with her husband, three hours to love him as she has always loved him, protectively, divisively, alone. Soon he will be everyone's. They will stand and raise their glasses. They will offer their memories, their stories of youth, and in this way, retake possession of him. This, too, is the nature of time. You wait and you wait, and it seems like forever, and then the moment you've waited for, the moment you've longed for, the moment you've dreaded, finally arrives. And in those last remaining hours, time moves at the speed of light, and you realize that what you thought would never come is now unstoppable. There is no way to put on the brakes. For the future you never thought you'd see is finally here.